Welcome into another Busting Brackets podcast. I'm your host, Brian Ralph, joined as always by my co-host, Connor Hope. And Connor, it's a bit of a slow time around the country with finals week and everything sort of going on on college campuses. I'm sure their training rooms wish they didn't have as much going on, though. There's a lot of major injuries that are sort of hindering a lot of teams at the top of the polls. The one that immediately jumps out is Cole Anthony in North Carolina is going to be out four to six weeks with a partially torn meniscus. For a UNC team that was struggling, this is probably the the least welcome news they could have gotten at this point in the year. Yeah, no, definitely. And and I think um, I think it was Brad Cavallaro uh, brought it up on Twitter, and, and it's a really interesting thought. Um, looking at UNC's upcoming schedule, it, it looks relatively easy. And outside of Gonzaga, they should be able to tread water. Um, but UCLA has talent. Now, if they haven't been able to put it together, but it's there. Yale's been playing pretty well. Pitt's been playing pretty well. Um, they played them twice. Virginia Tech's been playing well. So if he is out four to six weeks, and that puts him right at you know last week of January to get back if he's out the full six weeks, there, there are quite a few losses on there that they could potentially take that aren't uh, losses to the top tier in the ACC being Duke, Louisville, uh, Florida State, Virginia. And it, it's going to hurt them in the long run, I think, because these are games that they absolutely had to win because uh, they're not a team that I feel comfortable going, you know, they play – those four teams, I think a total of five games. And I think they'd be lucky to get out two and three. So it's one of those things. I mean, he is right now the, the best pure score from as, at least at the freshman level in, Mm -hmm. in basketball, he's the only reason that UNC's won a lot of the games that they have won. Um, And and him being out uh, is, is not, not going to be a good thing for, for UNC moving forward. Um, and I know Gonzaga fans are excited for that matchup on when, on today. I guess it's going to come out today. So um, we're recording this Tuesday night. But uh, that matchup all of a sudden doesn't look that great anymore. Yeah, I mean, for Gonzaga, the chance to have a blue blood come play in Spokane and likely win. Is going to make everybody associated with the program feel good. Uh, one thing that I look at, too, while they avoid some of the, the marquee ACC teams UNC does in the stretch, they just lost to Wofford. And all of those teams that they're going to play in this stretch, with the exception of uh, Yale and maybe one or two others, are better than Wofford. Now, UNC is not going to play that poorly every night, but the thing that they're going to be fine during this stretch I think is assuming a lot considering what we've seen from them even when Colin Anthony's been healthy when he's been off the court this year they've been dreadful so I'm not I'm not ready to say that UNC is gonna I'm not ready to say they're gonna fall off a cliff and not win and I'm not ready to say that they're gonna do enough to be in a good position when he gets back I think we're gonna see them probably go around 500 in the stretch because they'll take care of business, but they're going to play a Virginia Tech team that beat Michigan State. They're going to play a pit team that 
while they've had their struggles, are pretty good and capable of, of beating them, certainly in their current state. A lot of those teams are. Uh, NC State as well, sort of the tail end of that stretch. I think it's going to be a – they're going to come out of this in a rough situation. I, I compare it to what Notre Dame went through a couple of years ago with Bonzi Colson when he was out and they just tanked. And he came back and they started winning games and they almost made the tournament because of how they played when Colson was available. Um, but I think UNC could go through a similar kind of not bottoming out, but extended stretch of poor play until he comes back. If he comes back at all, you know, yeah, I, we, we assume he'll come back. Um, but if it gets to a certain point and it, it's not healing as well as it should, uh, he's got a future to worry about. Yeah, and if we look at this best-case scenario for, for UNC, and he's only out four weeks, they'll lose to Gonzaga, most likely. <laughs> they play UCLA in Las Vegas, but UCLA has problems of its own and, and is probably a bottom-four team in the Pac-12. That That's a game they should win, even without Cole Anthony. And then their next four games are all at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yale, Georgia Tech, Pitt, Clemson. And that would be the four-week mark. And then they have a week after Clemson to get ready for their road trip to Pitt and Virginia Tech. Um, And then a home game at Miami, and that would be right around six weeks. So it's not impossible to come out of this with a winning record. Um, And if he's only out four weeks, which is is a big if, it's possible that they go three and two-ish. Um, or three and three, I guess four, four and two, but they're going to need a, a lot of players to step up scoring the basketball because they can't continue to be a bottom 100 offense um, no. and and win these games. It's Armando Baycott's team now. I think it, it's on him to step up and be that guy. He's the only one who has shown at any point this year the explosive ability to take over a game in stretches. Um, and I know he's dealing with an ankle injury of his own, which limits things, but it's his time to, to sort of take over, I think. And how UNC does during the stretch, I think we'll see a direct correlation between how he plays individually as well. Um, I was dealing with a, a similar issue with Jordan Bohan, and he opted to have hip surgery and is going to miss the remainder of the season. This was something that was brewing in the offseason. He potentially could have had it this offseason, but, but chose to put it off and try to play. Uh, played as long as he could while he was eligible to get a medical redshirt, which surprisingly ended right after the Iowa State game. I think he just wanted to come in and, and, and get that win for the Hawkeyes in uh, in Ames there. But he's taking medical redshirt. Looks like he'll be back next year, uh, and Iowa's going to pretty much have their entire rotation back next year, which they're, I think, a team to watch for 2020-2021. Um, but now I was a team that's losing their star point guard and, and real leader. Yeah. And I said in the preseason, I thought Iowa, even without Bohannon was a tournament team. Um, none of their losses are outrageous. And that's, I think where you, you have to, I mean, they, they did have Bohannon, but losing to DePaul, losing to San Diego state, losing to Michigan, isn't, a resume-ending loss by any stretch of the imagination. They have wins at Iowa State. 
They have a win at Syracuse isn't great, but they have a win at Syracuse and they have a win against Texas Tech. None of those teams are outstanding, but they, you know, have put themselves in a position where because of how tight it seems that these games in the Big Ten are going to go, um, they could still make the tournament. I'm a little bit less confident about that um, now than I was at the beginning of the season. But Luca Garza is playing like one of the best players in the nation. And they have enough there uh, with Weisskamp, uh, McCaffrey, uh, Frederick, that they can still make the tournament. So I don't necessarily think that Bohannon going out um, is going to hurt Iowa as much as Cole Anthony going out would hurt uh, UNC. However, there's another player going out which would, who's out right now with a concussion for, for the next couple of weeks. Um, that was your player to w- pick to win player of the year. The team he, was started leading out- the, he was leading the player of the year race. And it was, you know, the, the, the team started off hot, um, kind of struggled a little bit lately um and the the reports on his injury were kind of scary uh miles powell for seton hall just the fact that he didn't know where he was or why he was there um with a concussion is is not a good sign and and i fully expect uh seton hall to take him uh his injury a little bit more slow his recovery coming back because Yes, they do miss – they'll miss him regardless for the Maryland game. Uh, but then they have Prairie View, which they should beat regardless. DePaul is playing really well. DePaul, DePaul can beat them. DePaul right. can absolutely beat them. But it's a game in Chicago. I, I don't necessarily think he'll be back for that. Um, so, yeah, I mean – their their schedule after Prairie View is tough, pretty much all the way through to mid mid January when they take on St. John's and Providence, and so they want him back quickly. But I would not expect him to come back before the new year. Yeah, I think Seton Hall's season is in danger of bottoming out because Powell's injury seems to be serious, and I know a lot of stuff with concussions can be. Um, it's one of the things you don't know how serious a concussion is because it's not a visible injury, right? And I think a lot of times, too, we don't know, as just a general public, what goes into a concussion, right? And when we get quotes where he, he suffered it in the game against Rutgers and he's asking his coach why they're practicing in Rutgers' gym, um, that's the kind of stuff that, that happens when you suffer these injuries. We don't hear that a lot like actual what they go through because uh, it's hard for them to vocalize it. And I think to hear that kind of brought about the just back into consciousness, the severity of concussions and sort of what they can do to you, but they, they, they should absolutely take as long as they need to, to make sure he's 100% right. Cause he also has a professional future to worry about um, whether it's in the NBA, he's projected to be a second round pick right now. Uh, or overseas, he's somebody who has meant a lot to that university and is going to play professional basketball for a long time, probably. So they, they have to think about that. The The problem with Seton Hall, too, 
is that they're they were kind of like UNC. They were struggling to find secondary scoring options to Powell. And they started to find one in uh, Sandro Monosculishvili. Just going to call him Sandro from now on. Um, big guy. You can do a lot of things, score on the rim, has a little bit of range on his jump shot, uh, solid passer. He had emerged as sort of a secondary option. But he's out for the foreseeable future with, uh, I believe, a, a broken finger or broken hand. So now you have a Seton Hall team that was short on offensive production and consistency to begin with, and now you're down their two best players. And as they head into Big East play, a uh, game against Marylander this week, and then Big East play, a very tough Big East, they're in danger of going on a streak here um, that I don't want to say could cost them an say tournament bid, uh, but at the very least is going to limit how how good they can be. I, I think their season is in danger of bottoming out. Yeah, I, I think their season is, is the most in danger because North Carolina, they don't have any resume building wins outside of Oregon, but they still beat Oregon. Um, yeah. And the ACC is down a bit this year. And the ACC is down a bit, but there's still those opportunities and there's not really resume building win opportunities early on in their schedule. Uh, Iowa has a couple of resume boosting wins already on their on their docket and Luke, uh, Luca Garza that they can rely on right right Seton Hall I mean they have the win over Iowa State but outside of that they don't really have anything and their biggest opportunity before uh, conference play to get that mm-hmm. resume boosting win was Maryland um, they have one or two possibly three early opportunities to get a resume boosting win right off the bat in their conference and not having the miles Powell um, would, would severely hinder their, uh, their ability to, to get those wins. And um, with, with Powell and Mamu fully healthy at the same time, they, they are a top 15 to 20 team, but it's just, it's not looking like they're going to be that team for the foreseeable future, which is unfortunate. Yeah. And with all these injuries to, to top players and so the James Wiseman suspension, um, Michigan State struggling, sort of taking Cassius Winston out, out of as much of the spotlight, it feels like there's this void at the top of the sport for guys who you tune in for. You know, everybody everybody's out. Everybody's hurt. There are still, you know, teams you want to watch, but there's no uh, – we were spoiled last year with Zion and, and the Duke team. Uh, but there's nobody right now who I, I think you automatically turn into outside maybe Obi Toppin, but Dayton's not on national TV ever. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at it, right? Kansas, their their big players are all experienced. They're not they're not blow you out of the gym players by any by any means, but they're really good. Gonzaga, mm-hmm. they're all pretty solid. They all do their jobs. They don't have that blow you out of the gym. Louisville, you could you could argue Jordan Nora, but again, it, it's it's mainly his experience and ability to get everyone else to do what they need to get done. To that Louisville's winning. Duke is a team right now. They're they're not reliant on one or two players. Mm-hmm. Caleb Wesson for for Ohio State Ohio. might be the closest that you have in that top five to like must yeah. tune in. But even he is 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 more a model of consistency than he is a you know 
blow the roof off the gym kind of player. Yeah, and honestly, that's I think and we've seen it at the top of the polls already. Those are the teams that are going to have success this year. The teams that are consistent and play to some of their parts that avoid those sort of trap games. Um, I know we talked about Ohio State. They had Minnesota, so maybe not. But being able to play to a consistent level is going to carry you very far this year. Um, and I, I think it's it's just sort of – it's been sort of a, a blah year, I think, to this point. Um, I, I do think we had a, a really high-quality game over the weekend, though, on Saturday uh, with Oregon and Michigan. I know some people are down on Michigan because they're one and three after they won the battle for Atlantis uh, and Oregon went one and two at Atlantis. Uh, But that was, I think a high quality game. I came away still impressed with Michigan. Um, I I had an article on bustingbrackets.com about how Isaiah livers is sort of the key to what Michigan does when he plays well. They're that team we saw in Atlantis when he doesn't, they're the team we've seen recently, but from that game, Oregon won in overtime. I came away extremely impressed with Oregon, thinking that they have what it takes to make a Final Four run and potentially win a national championship. Yeah, I mean, they, they have two losses on the year um, by a grand total of five points. Um, Blowout loss. Yeah, I mean, and that and that's the thing, is that a lot of these games this weekend – weren't really close that we were expecting to be good games gonzaga arizona ended up being closer than it really was the entire second half Um, gonzaga controlled that game and i was extremely impressed um with their ability to because they were trailing early to just take that game back from arizona and not relinquish it yeah i mean they were they were kind of getting blown out um, on the interior, went to the zone because Arizona couldn't shoot. And Does Arizona look good? I'm still of the opinion that their freshman trio has the highest ceiling of any freshman trio in the country. Mm-hmm. That said, and I mentioned it last week, outside of those three, there's not a single – well. Let me. Outside of those three, there's not a single player that I think would be a starter on any of the other top twenty teams. That yeah, being said, I, I think, I think that they should start playing Max Hazard more because he was the only player that had any sort of consistency against Gonzaga, and and, and for him, it's experience. I mean, he's a right. he's a graduate transfer, has played in the NCAA tournament, has been a lead guard in the NCAA tournament for a win. And, uh, you know, he showed that he can compete at that level. I I think Arizona has a pretty high ceiling. Um, Mm -hmm. But outside of the, if if one of those three isn't competing at a, at a high level in any given game, they lose. And I think it's just that simple. Yeah. And I think we've been waiting for them to have sort of that big breakthrough win. And it hasn't come yet. Their their best win was the second game of the season. Maybe it was the opener uh, when they played Illinois. I think it was the second game of the season. But when they beat Illinois at home and looked really good. Um, and Illinois is a solid team. May end up making the tournament. But if you want to build yourself as a top 15, top 20 team in the country, that can't be your best win. 
they're they are not a physical team or they no. they at least don't like to get physical and when they went up against baylor and gonzaga who you could argue are probably two of the 10 most physically phys, not willing to get physical of any teams in the country they they like to play inside they like to kind of beat the other team up in the paint um and on the perimeter and they ran into them and they just couldn't score and yeah. until their run at the end against Gonzaga, when, when Gonzaga seemed like they were a little bit out of gas, they were playing on a six-man rotation, essentially, um, with, with Tilly and, and, and Watson out. Um, they, they went on that little bit of a run, but, but before that, they couldn't score. Against Baylor, they couldn't score. Um, and so really, I think that they just need to, to be more willing to get physical. Because right now, yes, Zeke Naji is willing to get physical, and we've seen that. I'm still not convinced Chase Jeter is willing to get physical. We he's know not, he, he hasn't been throughout his career. We know Nico Manayan's not willing to get physical. Josh Green's probably the most physical player outside of Najee on that roster, but he's playing the two guard. So when it comes down to it, he's usually around the perimeter. So his physicality doesn't show through all that much. Um, yeah, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. I'll say it now. Outside of Oregon, I'm not really convinced that any team in the Pac-12 is all that good. Um, Washington for me is probably the, the best setup to do damage in March. Um, but I'm not even convinced that they're all that good. Yeah. And I know you were super high on Colorado before the year started. Um, but they have gone through a rough stretch uh, that started with the loss of Kansas. They lost Northern Iowa should have lost to Colorado state, if Colorado state, could make a shot in the first half that would have been a different game. Um, Colorado just can't stop turning the ball over. But I agree. It was a conference that we hyped up so much after the first couple of weeks of the season that now I think is coming back to earth and falling flat on their face a little bit. But I do want to talk about Oregon and I want to talk about Gonzaga because I think those two got the two biggest wins on Saturday. And I, I – I would think that they're out there probably battling for the one seed out West come March. So of I, I know they already played, and if I'm not mistaken, Gonzaga won by one in overtime in Atlantis. Right. Um, which one of those do you think is better? And, and keep in mind, Oregon hasn't had Dante yet this year. So what, which one are you more confident about going forward and then into March. I would say that all things equal, if both teams are fully healthy, and this might be a little bit of a homer in me, I still think that I would trust Gonzaga more. However, Watson hasn't been healthy all season. Or at least since the Southern Miss game, he hasn't been healthy. Killian Tilly rolled his ankle again. Or, you know, it's a different injury, but he's a walking injury. Um, And so you you can't really trust that he's going to do damage in March. Uh, Gilder has improved um, since his injury. Uh, Joel Ayayi is awesome. I mean, he's the reason why they're winning these games. I fall in love with him more and more every time I watch Gonzaga play. Gonzaga and... Gonzaga has not found a true point guard, really, to replace Josh Perkins. But Ayayi, 
Was Josh Perkins a true point guard, though? He was. He was. I mean, he averaged six <laughs> we had, assists we had this. We had this debate plenty of times last year. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Joey I allows Woolridge, who was the de facto point guard coming into the season, to do what he does best, which is essentially become a scoring guard who defends the, the opponent's point guard. I mean, he's defended some of the best point guards in the country in the first couple of weeks. Um, and he's a scoring machine, and he's long, athletic, solid. I mean, he is kind of, I mean, he's following kind of the same career progression as Rui Hachimura. Didn't really get a lot of minutes last year. Might be the favorite to win player of the year in the WCC this year, uh, if he can... um, Over Kispert? I think it's between AI and Petrushev right now. I really do. I think those two are doing more for Gonzaga than, than anyone else. And... You know, I think Ford is probably the front runner. I'll say that right now. Ford is probably yeah. the front runner. That's fair. But if Gonzaga is just leaps and bounds better than St. Mary's and BYU, or St. Mary's doesn't finish in a clear second place, AI could easily win it. And even if he doesn't, he might not be an NBA player this year. Coming he back will be. next year, he could be a star and, and kind of follow that three year, like goes from deep right. on the bench to solid i mean he started off as the sixth man but with injuries he had to assume a starting position to he'll be the superstar next year um if then if he comes back so yeah i mean i like this gonzaga team if i were to be betting based on what i've seen injury wise i think you could trust oregon a little bit more moving forward just because they haven't had the same injury issues that Gonzaga has had early on this season. But all things equal, I like this Gonzaga team more than Oregon. Um, and, and and I will say, I don't know if Gonzaga picked up the biggest win this weekend. I'm, I think they picked up one of the biggest wins. They picked up one of them. I would still say, even though it looked ugly um, and nobody could score, I still think Tennessee might now be better than Arizona. And so I might give best win of the weekend to, well, to Oregon, but outside of them to Memphis. Yeah, I, I'm i really hoping that Oregon and Gonzaga don't both end up in the West region because I think they're both Final Four caliber teams. And so I would hate to see them have to knock each other out in the regional final or regional semi or, or what have you. But I think Memphis has the potential to be a Final Four team as well. And I think they showed that against Tennessee. It's a game in which they played horribly. They don't have their best player. They're on the road against the top 20 team, and they win anyway. That's the kind of game that not a lot of teams around the country have shown they're capable of winning. And as much credit and hype as James Wiseman gets, and rightfully so, because he's he's a great player, and I think he'll end up going to the Golden State Warriors in the NBA draft, which is going to be just super fun. Uh, but whether he ends up as the number one, number two, whatever, he's going to end up going really high in the draft to whatever pick the Warriors get that's up there because the Warriors suck. Yeah, and, and remember, Memphis is not just without Wiseman. They're also without Quinones. So right. They're missing... So the, the fact that they're I, – I think we've seen a reminder that they had the number one recruiting class and not yeah. the number one guy. All of these guys are contributing, uh, particularly defensively uh, and we saw that in Tennessee game, Tennessee missed some shots, but a lot of that was Memphis's defense as well and just their length and athleticism. So I think when they get healthy, 
and get Wiseman back, you're looking at a team that it could be a bona fide top five team and definite final four contender. Yeah. I mean, it, and, and that's the thing. They, they still need to clean up the turnovers because oh, you're not going to win many games with 17 turnovers. But I, I definitely agree. I think if when Wiseman comes back, when, you know, when they're at full strength, they are one of the top 10 teams in the country, easy, possibly top five. Yeah. And, and let's let's discuss that right now because there was a lot of discussion about does anybody really deserve to be ranked number one? Um, I mean, no. It's more of just sort of who's up next and who hasn't lost in the longest amount of time. Yeah, I I had Kansas at number one. Um, I, I did as well. Yeah, because I, I think they've won some good games since that opening loss um, to Duke. And again, Duke's a good team, so that's that's not something to hang your head about. And um, and I will say, while I, we shouldn't discount losses in the first week or two, a loss to a really good team in the first week doesn't really tell anyone who you are moving right. forward because it is really the first time you're ever going to face a team at full speed with full F maximum effort. And so that loss. They learned, that, yeah. They learned in that game, they couldn't play their bigs the way they wanted to. Right. And they've adjusted. And the results have been them winning games and they're going to get tested here coming up. Um, I believe they have Villanova this weekend. Um, they have some games coming up that are going to let us know if this is really for real or not, but they've avoided the Minnesota game that Ohio state had. They've avoided the CNF Austin. They've avoided the Evansville. Uh, And this year, that's all you've had to do really, you know? Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think that right now they are playing or they have the, they're the only team without anything on their, on their resume that says this team isn't number one, right? right? Gonzaga, they were injured, but they got blown out by Michigan. Um, the rest of the teams in that top 10 really uh, lost to mediocre to above average at best opponents. And so, yeah, I mean, they're, they're the only team who has one loss and one loss that uh, is forgivable and has wins to back up their ranking. Because there's also yeah. quite a few teams that have one loss or or have no losses that don't necessarily have the same amount of high caliber wins that Kansas has. Yeah, I, I think I had Ohio State at two because prior to that Minnesota game, I thought they were so far ahead of where everybody else was because they hadn't had that game and were blowing out all of the good teams that they played. Uh, beating Penn State by 30-something is no small feat. Beating a, a healthy UNC team with Cole Anthony on the road by 25, no small feat. Beating Villanova by 25, no small feat. So I, I thought the loss of Minnesota brought them back to the pack of those top tier of teams uh, more than anything else as opposed to um, a sign that they're not as, as good, so to speak. Um, I, I'm viewing it as a one-game sort of blip on the radar for them. It remains to be seen – if, if that's the case moving forward, but they just absolutely wrecked Southeast Missouri the way they should. So 
uh, who knows. Yeah. Uh, and then I have Gonzaga at three. And I, I, I have Oregon at four, and I think you could put – I would put them in this tier because I, I, I think I'd pick Oregon in the national championship right now. Um, but I think those guys – and I guess you could put Duke. Um, well, there are probably five to seven teams that I think have separated where they're at this year and become sort of that top tier. There's not a, a huge gap, but I think there's sort of a, a clear line in the sand. Would it, do you see that? Yeah, I, I my seven or eight. I, I would I would put eight just because I think that Maryland. As much as I hate to say it, as much as I don't trust them, I still think Maryland clings on to that eighth spot um, as, you know, a team that's really kind of put themselves. Well, okay, without Maryland, I think there's eight. I think you could say Kansas, Gonzaga, Louisville, Duke, Ohio State, probably Baylor, and Dayton. You put Dayton in that top tier. I would put Dayton in that top tier. uh, I'm still not convinced they're not the best mid-major team in the country. I have Gonzaga number two, but Mm -hmm. I'm still not convinced that Dayton's not the best team in the best mid-major team in the country. Yeah, it would have been nice, I think, to see Dayton play Michigan State, yeah, and not and not Virginia Tech, yeah, in Maui. I think we would we would know more about who Dayton is if we had more than just the Kansas game to go off of. And, and they proved they're really good in that game. Uh, proved they're really good uh, against Georgia, and proved they're really good against Virginia Tech. But having that another data point to use a a committee term against uh, a team that we know is pretty good. Yeah. I think would be very beneficial when it comes to knowing exactly just how good Dayton is. I mean, here's my thing is they put up what almost 80 points against St. Mary's. And Mm -hmm. for those who haven't watched a lot of St. Mary's putting up points against St. Mary's is not an easy task. Not because St. Mary's is fantastic on defense. I mean, they usually have a solid defensive team, but because they just play slowly, they outshot St. Mary's from three. St. Mary's is the best three-point shooting team in the country right now. So that game is really what convinced me with Dayton, is that St. Mary's Mm -hmm. game. And the fact that they were able to handle St. Mary's to the point where St. Mary's looked like another mid-major they were beating up on. Yeah. The thing that concerns me about them is they don't have any size, which is why they lost to Kansas. Kansas just realized that Udoka Azubuke was bigger than everybody else and Dayton couldn't stop him. They just kept throwing him the ball, right? That mm-hmm. that was what won the game and I think could be something Dayton runs into at, at some point. But there's nothing to not like about their offense and there's nothing to not like about their talent level. As good as Obi Toppin is, he's clearly the best player, going to be a lottery pick in the NBA draft. The rest of the guys on that roster are really good too. Like it's not, it's not him carrying this mid-major team full of mid-major guys like Steph Curry did with Davidson. It's a legitimate team that has a legitimate superstar. They they have Obi Toppin, who's who's averaging over twenty-one points a game, I think, right now. Five more guys who are averaging between nine point one and twelve point one points per game, and. Every single one of their top six scorers shoots better than 30% from three. And all of them have had a game where they were that second or third guy behind Obi Toppin. Right. It, it's been it, – everybody has contributed in a 
big, big way at some point. Yeah, I mean, they're 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 only one of their top six players that's not, I would say, is not really, um, in quotes, not really a huge offensive threat. It's probably Ryan Mikesell. Um, but he... He was the go-to guy for them down the stretch against Kansas. They kept giving him the ball. Right. But he's also one of their, their most important, I think, defensive players. And so, I mean, that's the thing is it's not just Obi Toppin. You know, St. Mary's is good, but it is really Jordan Ford, Malik Fitz, and a bunch of other players. Um, but yeah. for this team, it's Obi Toppin and five other dudes that can all score. They're, they have a good test this weekend against Colorado. Uh, Colorado team that I think they should beat. I don't think Colorado is very good. I, I am um, off the Tad Boyle train for good. Yeah, you should have never gotten on. But that's I think that's a game that you look at and you say, okay, if you are this good, you handle this game. And yeah. Colorado is a team that we're going to know how good they are um, because they play in a power conference. So I, I view that as a big showcase game for Dayton this week and before they get into conference play where they have a strong uh, a 10 strong, uh, but I think a win over Colorado could resonate more or just as much as a win over VCU or, or Richmond. If, if they can beat Colorado and they can get through the a 10 with maybe a loss at VCU, um, there's no reason this Dayton team shouldn't be a top four seed. Oh, no. I, I think yeah. if they get through with just like a one, like if they lose to VCU and Richmond, yeah. and that's and that's it, I think they'd be in the mix for a two. Yeah. Given, given what everyone else is doing. Yeah. You, yeah, given the amount of losses you would expect other teams to have. Yeah. Right. Because I think, I think we're going to see a Gonzaga team with one loss now. You know, and I, and I know I said they would probably have three to five. Um, heading into the season, but just the way this season has gone, BYU is probably their biggest threat in WCC play. Mm-hmm. And from a pure matchup perspective, and they don't really play anyone between now and WCC play outside of UNC. So, yeah, I, I take well, that back. They play two teams. And then they have two weeks off, and then it's WCC play. So, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. That that UNC game, I think, you know, it's one they have to win. Yes, it's one of the bigger games of the week because it's one Gonzaga has to win. Um, but there are plenty of other good games this week. Uh, I say plenty of other, a lot more than last week. Yes. Last week we got basically nothing. Um, you had the UNC Gonzaga game, and then Utah Kentucky. People are hyping up because it's on TV. And it's Kentucky, and I guess we'll find out how good Utah is, but I'm not expecting that to be much of a game. No. And then we have we got Maryland Seton Hall Thursday, which a month ago was looking like a top ten matchup. Obviously, now with Seton Hall's problems, who knows what that could be? Yep. All of our NC State that night too. I think could be a really interesting game from an entertainment standpoint and from an Auburn undefeated standpoint. Um, Auburn, the last power conference team that, that's currently undefeated. Uh, NC State is, is look doesn't have really any big marquee wins, but are at, sitting there at 8-2, um, an NCAA tournament caliber team 
But Auburn, this is their last, I, I think, biggest test that they'll face until the middle of January. So if you're looking at an undefeated team, that, that's going to go pretty far. After NC State, they play Lehigh this weekend, followed by Lipscomb the following weekend. And then they bring this in January, where January 4th they play at Mississippi State, who hasn't proven they can really do much of anything this year other than compete for 20 minutes and then fall apart. Uh, and then they get Vanderbilt at home and then Georgia at home. And that brings us to January 15th and January 18th, where they play at Alabama and at Florida. They get by this game. There's a very real possibility that they're into mid-January undefeated pretty easily. Yep. And, and I, go ahead. I, I, I think that because of the way that NC State plays, the same sort of style that Auburn does, it's going to be a really fun game to watch. But if, you know, they have a slightly better shooting night than Auburn, that's a potential upset, even though it's being played at Auburn. Yeah, I Auburn's one of those teams for me. I have them 10th right now because, mm-hmm. like we discussed, there's those eight or nine, if you include Maryland teams, that kind of are right there. Um, haven't really done a lot for me to say that they're not good, but haven't really done anything for me to say that they're great, but they, they've kind of separated themselves. Um, mm-hmm. Auburn hasn't lost, so I have no reason not to have them ranked that high. Uh, at as high as 10. They also haven't beaten anybody, so I don't really want to put them in a single-digit ranking. <laughs> They're kind of just... Right. They've been stuck at number 10 in my poll for probably two and a half weeks uh, just because of that. Just because... Look, I've watched them play. They've looked decent. They haven't lost any games, but they've also looked decent against halfway decent opponents um, and not great like some of these other teams. Right. Yeah, and I... This, I think, is another one of those, I think, solid, decent teams that will have played, but a team that's capable, more capable than some of those teams that they have faced, of beating them right. because of the style of play. So I'm excited to see that test, and I'm excited to see a game where both teams could score 100. Right. It'll be fun. I, I'm excited to, well, first, I'm excited for the Hall of Fame Holiday Showcase matchup between St. Mary's and Arizona State. Mm. Um both these teams have two losses. Um, St. Mary's has a couple of, or I guess, yeah, a couple of resume boosting wins. Uh, Utah State, um, Wisconsin, I guess. <laughs> but uh, no, they they still need a lot of work because I don't think they're going to beat Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have Arizona State and Nevada coming up before they kick off WCC play against San Francisco. Arizona State has beaten San Francisco, beaten Georgia, beaten St. John's. Uh, but again, not really any strong resume-boosting wins. But they also only have two losses. And Bobby Hurley is doing what he always does, which is getting through uh, the non-conference relatively unscathed. Um, mm-hmm. their, their two non-conference losses are Colorado, which was a non-conference game, and Virginia, so neither of those losses are going to really count that hard against them. Um, and so no, it'll be a, a good measuring stick game for both teams because I think St. Mary's right now, for me, would be th- third in the WCC. 
um, mm-hmm. in terms of power rankings, just because I've I've watched BYU and have been blown away by how put together and how talented this team is, and, and how well Mark Pope has has stepped into that role as the BYU head coach. Oh, yeah. um, and so I think that probably for Wednesday is is my top game. That or trying to watch Northwestern continue the Big Ten home court dominance against Michigan State. But I'll probably skip that game for Arizona State. Same areas. That's a game, yeah. That's a game where you keep checking the score, and if it's close at half, you flip it on. Yeah. You know. Um, Saturday has some good games. Um, Kansas, we mentioned, has their first tough test of this stretch, uh, playing at Villanova. I think Villanova is a team that is looking for some validation given the way they were embarrassed by Ohio State and really the biggest game that they had played so far. I haven't beaten a ranked team yet this year. Getting that at home, I think, is big for them. The game of the day, obviously, is Ohio State-Kentucky in Las Vegas, five or six. Um, both teams with one loss. Ohio State, I, th- I don't think they need any more resume-boosting wins, but – given what they put up against Minnesota, I think if they want to get back to being the team that we thought they were this time last week, you pick up one over Kentucky and you're, and you're right back there. Um, other than that, it's you have some under-the-radar games. I think Butler-Purdue could be a lot of fun Saturday as well. Uh, San Diego State is going to put their undefeated record on the line against Utah, and again, we'll find out how good Utah actually is um, when they play Kentucky Wednesday night. LSU USC um, at the mm-hmm. Staples Center is, yeah. is another good one. Yeah, VCU Wichita State. I mean, it, it's this Saturday is going to be really tough to watch basketball because it's going to be tough to choose which games to watch. Yeah, VCU Wichita I think is a game where I, I had them I had them both ranked this week, uh, but the winner solidifies themselves as one of those top quality mid major teams, not on the on the Dayton Gonzaga level but maybe as that third team. Yeah. No, definitely. And, I mean, there's, there's, yeah, it's, it's, Wichita State has really. I wouldn't classify Wichita as a mid-major playing in the American, but I guess VCU. VCU. Yeah, I mean, VCU, it's not that they've disappointed me. I think Dayton's done more to to impress me than VCU has done to disappoint me in terms of um, looking at VCU as one of the top teams in the A-10. And at Wichita State, um, I mean, we knew they were going to be pretty good, but I don't think we knew they were going to be as good as they've looked this far into the year. Um, yeah, and here's the thing with VCU, too. Uh, they have a win over LSU, and their only losses were to Purdue and Tennessee, both of which came by three points. Mm-hmm. And other than that, they've held serve, but it's been against lesser competition. Yeah. And we don't talk about it as much because of those two losses, um, but particularly the Tennessee game, which Tennessee won on a buzzer beater, could go either way. Uh, the LSU game was the same kind of way. Um, I mean, they're a couple, two shots away from being undefeated and probably being a top 15 team in the country. At the same time, they're also one shot away from having three losses and no good wins and kind of being off the radar completely. Right. So the Wichita game is, it could be another good measuring stick game for them. Yeah, I, this this Saturday, is, I'm almost more interested in those measuring stick games. Um, mm-hmm. Teams that I'm not really sure what to make of. UCF, Oklahoma. I 
both team both both of them have good records have looked pretty solid haven't really played anybody or at least beaten anybody of, of note um to this point yeah. in the season oklahoma's you, lost two in a row now yeah. lost wichita over the weekend and then lost to creighton to, uh, tonight tuesday night um i'm i'm not sold i'm not sold on on them either i mean i've i've been pointing to oklahoma as a decent win um which I think they're trending more towards the Wisconsin. Like, I'll throw them in as a notable win if they're the only notable win, but right. they're not really a notable win. Utah State, Florida is another one where yep. neither team has looked as good as I think we thought they were going to look. Um, Utah State's been a little, been less disappointing than Florida, but they too have lost. They're, they've gone one and two against teams that I think are probably tournament caliber teams or at large caliber teams. Um, and and that one win, they needed a miracle. What was a nineteen point comeback to beat LSU? Yes. You know, so it wasn't a game that they controlled. And yeah, and Florida, uh, as we all know, hasn't looked good. They won the game today uh, between the two biggest disappointments in college oh basketball God. thus far. Probably there's a train wreck. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, but you have North Carolina-UCLA. Isn't I don't think going to be a good game, but it, if North Carolina can't beat UCLA, even without Cole Anthony, I'm, I'm trending more towards the North Carolina's a bubble team um, than – North Carolina is a shoe in for the NCAA tournament because yeah. even without Cole Anthony, that that's a game that you should win. Um, that's a game you'll need some adult beverages during to watch because it's going to be rough. Right. No, it's going to be awful, but it's it's going to be an important game for both teams. Oh yeah. Um, St. John's plays Arizona. Both those teams are kind of people are starting to doubt. Well, St. John's people always doubted. St. John's has just surprised people with their record. Arizona, West Virginia, West Virginia needs St. John's to win because right. I I think that loss for West Virginia is horrible. But if St. John's goes and beats Arizona, yep, you know, not that bad. Um, Nevada, St. Mary's, Cincinnati, Iowa. Uh, Cincinnati, I don't think is a tournament team. But Cincinnati is one of those teams with just the way they play. You never really know how good they are. Right. Uh, and Iowa needs to win that game to prove that they can win without Bohannon. Yeah. Um, I'm actually intrigued by a game that should be a blowout. Uh, but it, it's kind of, it kind of has some bragging rights, I guess, attached to it, which is the Wofford at Duke game. <laughs> just because Duke fans have been putting it on UNC. Uh since they lost to Wofford and I'm interested to see, to make sure that Duke can beat them. Um, yeah. With as I, much gusto as they've been holding it over UNC fans heads. I, I don't think that'll be a problem, but <laughs> you never know. This is one of the, I, this is one of those years that you never know. So I have a question for you. Sunday game. Okay. It's a game you're real, probably really interested in South Carolina at Virginia. First of 30. First to thirty. Yep. <laughs> I knew it was going to be low scoring. I, I I didn't expect you to go that low. That game might be over in an hour. Like they may legitimately play forty minutes and then leave. Because <laughs> that's a, that yeah that's a game. I mean Virginia has to win, but you know they're they're lucky. I think they've been lucky this non conference that they really only faced one 
prolific offense. Um, yeah, I want to look at this because I think South Carolina is known for having a, a stingy defense under Frank Martin, but it hasn't been to the level that you expect it to be. And they have a lot of young guys, and that's normal um, for a young team to not be as good defensively. But offensively, Virginia is currently 345th in the country in three-point shooting. They're shooting 24.9% from three. I think that's bad. South Carolina is 304th, shooting 28.8% from three. Yeah. This is going to be one of those games that just nobody scores. There's a ton of bricks that go up. It's going to be very boring. My, my question for you, because I, I haven't gotten to watch South Carolina all that much, um, do they shoot threes as much as Virginia does? Because that's my biggest frustration with Virginia is that they just no. shoot a ton of threes. No, South Carolina knows who they are um, from, a, from a slashing standpoint, but what that leads to is a, a, a crowded lane and a lot of sloppy just – layup floater attempts that look more like somebody lost the ball going up in the air than an actual shot attempt. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, it's, it's gotten better. The Clemson game was a little bit better for the Gamecocks. Um, and I think they're sort of headed in the right direction. It's the same track they've been on the past couple of years where uh, early on they really struggle as they find their defense. And then they have some of those really bad losses in the non-conference uh, this year, lost to Boston University, uh, and then the losses are, are to are to BU, and then Wichita, Northern Iowa, and Houston. None of those last three are particularly bad losses, but Boston University certainly is. Last year it was Stony Brook and Wyoming. The year before that it was Illinois State. It, they they have these stretches early on where they drop an awful game, sort of find their way back and then the conference play end up playing pretty well. Mm-hmm. I think it's three of the last four years they finished the top four in the SEC and have only made the NCAA tournament once in that span. Uh, they're, they're progressing and I, I think are getting there. Um, Virginia is not the game they're going to show that, but for, for the South Carolina portion of this podcast, they're progressing. Good to hear because I, I like Frank Martin as a coach. I really do. Uh, I do too, and I, uh, I I could go on about how I think the Final Four run actually hurt South Carolina, at least in the these years since then, because it caused a lot of players to think they were better than they were, left early, had some guys kicked off the team, and they ended up essentially starting over from scratch. They mm-hmm. were a year early for from a program building standpoint, when that breakthrough was going to be. Uh, and as a result, people left that was setting up the program for the next couple of years, and he had to essentially start over again. Right. Um, so um, I, I was hopeful. I think they have the pieces that they could be really good this year. I had them as one of my breakout teams this year, and I, I still think that they can be a real factor in the SEC because they have guys who can score. Not guys who can shoot, but guys who can score. Right. Um, and if they get to playing defense the way – Frank Martin teams normally do, uh, they can be a factor in the SEC. Um, but it's going to make the Virginia game a, a rock fight where there's one rock on the court. So seeing as this is probably our last episode before the new year, uh, because the next two weeks are New Year's or Christmas and New Year's, and so we probably yeah. won't be dropping episodes on Christmas. 
an you odd New Year's podcast. <laughs> um, but and keep in mind, after Christmas, there's still the West Virginia Ohio State game. What is your bold prediction moving forward um, this year? I think we have two new number one teams before we get into 2020. Okay. I think number one loses every week. You do. I do. Even though even though Gonzaga doesn't play people for two weeks between uh, they play they play UNC and then they play some other mid major. Um, because here's what I think is going to happen. I think Kansas is going to lose at Villanova. And I think Ohio State is going to blow out Kentucky because okay. I think Kentucky's issues are still there. Okay. That's going to happen with Ohio State on national TV, on CBS, on, and people are going to go back to where they were with Ohio State, I think, previously. Okay. But now I've got to look at Ohio State's schedule. Because Gonzaga plays UNC, Eastern Washington, and they play Detroit on the 30th, and those are their three games before the new year. Yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah, Ohio State beats Kentucky. Ohio State goes number one. Then they play West Virginia and lose that game. Okay. I'm going with that. Okay. So you and I are kind of in the same boat, I guess. Um, n- not really in the same boat. I thought it was going to go straight from Kansas to Gonzaga, but my bold prediction moving forward is that I think Gonzaga is the number one team in the country, ranked the number one team in the country on January first and doesn't give up that ranking until the NCAA tournament. Cuz I just okay. think I just think they I just think they're that far ahead of the WCC that they shouldn't lose. And if if there's not a team, if they are the team that's ranked number 1 heading into WCC play, I think they're the number 1 team heading into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, that would not surprise me at all. Um I, I this is I I think Gonzaga's best chance to win a national championship. I don't think it's their best team, but because of the way things are with the national landscape, because of the seed they're probably going to get, and because of the talent, barring a long-term injury, they have as good of or a better chance of anybody else of making a championship run. I know that I've said I think Oregon right now yeah. would be my championship pick and I hold firm to that. Um, but I think Gonzaga would probably be second. Yeah. I, I think it's the best opportunity for both teams. Um, yeah. Well, really, I think it's the best opportunity for any team that hasn't won a national championship to win a national championship. So I don't think it's Gonzaga specific, but I'm I just do. waiting for, for some UConn player the, to come out and then suddenly UConn <laughs> wins a championship because somebody scored 30 a game in the tournament. Well, it's going to be Christian Vital. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I I agree with you. And here's the thing: is if Kansas manages to get two big or two Big Twelve play without losing Villanova to at Villanova or at Stanford, they will firmly be the number one team in the country. Mm-hmm. And I admit that they have two pretty tough road games between now and then and then they follow it up with West Virginia at Iowa State Baylor at Oklahoma at Texas and so they'll be firmly in the number one conversation if they get past those two games but they probably lose it 
by mid-January. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, we're going to find out a lot about Kansas in these next, I think, before 2020. We'll know if they're a legitimate number one top team or not. Yeah. No, I, and and I'm not saying that I think Gonzaga is the best team in the country. Um, I think yeah. that they've shown that they're probably the most consistent team in the country, but I don't necessarily think that they've proven definitively that they're the best. But just the way the schedule breaks out, I think Ohio State and Kansas both lose before the new year, and Gonzaga goes undefeated in WCC play and wins the WCC championship. Because I just I just think that they're that far ahead. St. Mary's has looked disappointing, and BYU, for me, heading into the season, was so far behind that I don't yeah. think they've really proven that they can take that next step and be a true uh, threat to Gonzaga. Uh, I like your bull prediction year. more than my bull prediction. <laughs> I think yours has a, legit, has, a, has a much better chance of happening. No, no, no. I, I mean, I think yours has a chance of happening because if, if, Ohio, if, if Ohio State beats Kentucky... I'm counting on overreaction and then Ohio State not knowing how to handle a press, which I think is a, is a very real possibility. Right. And I think yours could very well happen too because, look, if, if we think that Gonzaga and Ohio State are probably equal in terms of where people think they are, a win against Kentucky, as much as Kentucky doesn't look great right now, they're ranked really high, and mm-hmm. UNC's not. And so one win's going to count more than the other. I think there's a very high possibility Ohio State's ranked number one next week. But I agree with you. I don't necessarily think that they're going to be able to handle handle the press um, against West Virginia. So, bo- I mean, both our bold predictions could happen because that's just the way it is. But yeah, what I learned from this podcast is that we should both have Dayton number one next week and call it a day. Okay, we'll do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's you know, it's bad. I mean, there, we've had a lot of honorable mentions or people also receiving votes in the AP poll before, but this, this one reads like a novel. so many. (laughs) Once you get past what Penn state, it drops like, well, once you get past Tennessee, it drops like 150 points from 21 to 22. And then it drops another 70 and then it drops another 40 and then it drops another 30. And then it's just like a bunch of teams between 41 and one. So it's a mess. Nobody knows what's going on. Yeah. No, I mean, nobody knows. It's, it's ridiculous. And while I'm not high on Virginia, I can't really argue against their number nine ranking. Um, cause it's just, no, cause their defense gives them a very high floor. Yes. Their floor might be right next to their ceiling, but it's a very high floor. Yep. So I think that that's the end for us. We, uh, we're predicting that three teams are going to be ranked between now yeah. and the new year. Um, two new ones outside of Kansas. They rank number one. Um, and Gonzaga is going to be ranked number one come January 1st and up until March. So, Let's merge them into one. Let's okay. have Kansas loses Villanova. Ohio State beats Kentucky, jumps to number one. Ohio State loses to West Virginia. And then Gonzaga goes to number one. And then is number one January 1st throughout to the NCAA tournament. Sounds good. So Boom. that's that's our bold prediction as the <laughs> the co-champions of the two We didn't even talk about busting that. brackets fantasy football leagues. Um, 
Oh, I feel so good. <laughs> I, I had, in my defense, I had Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, Tyler Lockett, and Michael Thomas pretty much the whole year because I picked up Drew Brees one, when he got injured um, and just kept him on my bench. That's so. how you got to do it. <laughs> I had I had Lamar Jackson, okay, my quarterback, and that was sort of the end all, the start for me. Yep. Uh, Leonard Fournette as a running back. Running back two was was a rough spot, kind of interchangeable. But my receivers were Michael Thomas, Odell Beckham, Adam Thielen, Zach Ertz is my tight end, Patriots defense. I I should have won. <laughs> yeah, no, that's – I had the Patriots defense as well I and George Kittle. So I just had – I kind of like sat in the background. I picked up Tyler Lockett in like the fifth round. So, <laughs> um, so with that – we don't want to drag this on. Um, this is a basketball podcast, not a fantasy football podcast. I'm Connor Hope. For my co-host, Brian Ralph, we will see you in the new year uh, once conference play starts. 2020 vision. Everything's more clear.